This episode is sponsored by Visual Media. Are you an entrepreneur or a small business looking to take your brand to the next level? Then Visual Media is the service for you. Visual Media is a video production company who specializes in creating high-quality visual content for social media, websites, and online courses. Head over to Visual Media on Instagram and drop Resilience in their DM to get started. That's V-Z-U-A-L-M-E-D-I-A underscore to get started. What's up, everyone? This is Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, the number one podcast for anyone looking to have a greater human experience. What's going on, everyone? Another episode of Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, and our special guest today is Jay Haleen. Jay, thank you so much for being here with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, you sent over your bio and all that good stuff, um, but I'm not going to butcher it. So I want you to tell us about you. I don't even know half the stuff that's on there. So <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when people read my bio, I'm like, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> that was... That wasn't me. <laughs> that guy seemed like he did a lot of stuff, but and I'm still young, so it's kind of crazy. Yeah. But um, no, you know, I'm born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. And um, you know, went through the crack epidemic, which we see now um on TV on all the shows, the snowfalls, the everything else like that. You know, grew up in that, participated in it, family members were, you know, swallowed up by it. And um, so as a teenager, I was I I got in the streets real quick, you know, stumbled my way through high school. I was a basketball player, so you know, I played ball in school. And at, after hours, you know, go to the street. Um, got in trouble, started getting in trouble. Uh, we call it the youth house, depending upon where you live, they call it YA or DJJ, juvenile justice, whatever. But mm-hmm. I went through that for a while. And then um a couple of times with that, then I became a um I got so when I turned 18, I got arrested my first time as an adult, you know, almost didn't go to college, you know, but my cousin stepped in, helped me get to college. And that got me on a program. I was a first offender, but, you know, got off of that program and became a felon when I, while I was in college. <laughs> you know, it's hard. You can't, you know, it's hard to shake it. I started, yeah. I just started getting some new things, the new information, but it was, it just, it didn't happen fast enough. The change, the change didn't happen fast enough. So, which was cool. You don't get out of that game without having scars, mm-hmm. and those are my personal scars. But you know, I lost friends, and I was naming. I put it on Facebook recently because I had a milestone and like six or seven friends that, like personally, that I lost through the streets, gun violence, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, I'm I'm creeping through college trying to figure it out. I graduate with um with honors but i don't have um i'm a felon so i can't go get a job yeah so you know i use those skills that i learned from the street to be a full-time entrepreneur um i'm here to tell you it's not easy it's not what everybody's selling you on t- on social media <laughs> um i stumbled through entrepreneurship for a long time trying to figure out what was the right fit and it's a whole lot harder when you start having children and you you know, you have a spouse and you have all these responsibilities. A lot of the drug dealers and people doing stuff, they don't, they live in their mother's houses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't have the responsibilities and things of that nature. It changes. So it's hard. Um, you know, I, I picked up a camera back in 2008 when my daughter was born just to do everything. I wanted to cover everything she was doing. <laughs> and um, and I was doing, dibbling, dabbling in the music industry at the time. And, um, you know, I, I got tired of being an artist manager, so I started a blog, and I would film, you know, my interviews. That I would, I would interview individuals, and everybody would ask me to take photos. Would you be a photographer? Would you do my wedding? I'm like, man, I ain't no photographer. Mm-hmm. But a couple of years go by, and I got in a real bad spot where I had to become a photographer. I actually sold my camera because I needed the money, and my pastor, I sold it to my pastor, and he actually gave it back to me two weeks later and said, "You need to use this camera." Mm. And um, I jumped on it real hard after that. And I, I created a, a beautiful career for myself as a photographer. And in the process, you know, I started working with the government, learned a lot about government contracting, um, a lot of stuff that we we as Black people in minorities, period, being railroaded on. I learned it, 
and I made the right partnerships. So I started helping other individuals that look like you and I and other minorities to get um, certified and do business with the government to the tune of about 600 businesses now. And so um, once the pandemic hit, photography was kind of shut down uh, because of, um, you know, I, I work with government and, you know, they wasn't doing anything and these major corporate organizations, they wasn't taking no photos. I wasn't going back to taking pictures of birthday parties, nothing like that. By that time, I wrote my first book, I Won't Starve, from eight dollars to six figures. So I was already promoting that book and touring and doing things like that. So I put out my second book and started going full time with my consultant space and been there ever since. Yeah. You know, that's that's where I'm at now, still doing consulting. I have my own my company, J LLC, which we focus on business consulting and training and coaching. Um, focusing on helping businesses with government contracting as well as market research and create strategic partnerships. Love it. Love it. A story of resilience. To exactly. Say, right. Wow. All right. Let's start. Let's start from the beginning. You um, born and raised in, Nor you said North, right? Yep. North New Jersey. Um, I was born and raised in Chiselhurst, New Jersey. So wow. all time. I don't know where that's at. What what's that? What's that? North all right. North? Uh you know where Sickleville is? Nope. Um uh Hamilton. Camden. Camden, yeah, South Jersey. Okay. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I was like 10 minutes away from Camden. Okay. So cool, cool, cool. Born and raised there, lived there until I turned uh 25 and moved out of out of Jersey to try to change some things. Like everybody. Uh, <laughs> Like everybody leave a journey. Listen, listen. I, I love to come back home. I love to come back to visit. And then I love to leave. Feel me. <laughs> and then I love to leave. <laughs> what was um what was home like like growing up? What what did that look like? What was that structure, that foundation? Oh man, it was 15 people in a three-bedroom apartment. Um, my grandmother was the only adult in the house not getting high on drugs. Um it was a bunch of kids, you know. I um, I remember my grandmother lost her job. My mother left me when I was eleven, you know, um, for like Christmas time. She left literally, so that was kind of traumatizing. Yeah, I hated Christmas for a long time. I still kind of don't really celebrate like that. I, I, I we, my, my family now we serve on Christmas Day. So, um, but yeah, we, I, I never liked it, um, since then. But yeah, my mother left. And um, I'm the oldest grandchild, so my grandmother got full custody of me. And that became a domino effect because she raised eight of her own children. Then she had to have full custody of 10 of her grandchildren. So it was tough. And around 13, my grandmother lost her job. She got injured real bad. And she said, hey, man, you got a place to stay <laughs> and, you know, a place to eat, which was kind of like a, that was a kind of like an iffy part because me trying to be an overachiever playing basketball it's never no food left for me when I get back from basketball practice or a basketball game. But yeah. if I got there in a reasonable time, I was good. And so, yeah, just dealing with that. And she said, she, you know, that's all she got, all she can do for me because by that time she didn't have about four or five of my siblings or, or my own cousins or whatever that, you know, so she's like, I got to take care of them. So you got to figure it out. I slept on the couch all through high school. You know, I didn't have my own room until, you know, I went to college. So that's what the household looked like. You know, just just a just struggle. You know, you don't understand it like that when you were a kid because other families were living the same way. You know what I mean? But yeah, it just was what it was. Yeah. Uh, what what motivated you to get through high school? Man, everybody in my a lot of my people in my family didn't graduate high school, so I, I never wanted to be like them. Like I love my family, but everybody was on drugs. I wasn't using drugs. You know, the rappers wasn't talking about us using drugs like they do now when yeah. they was talking about selling drugs, being kingpins or mm -hmm. that nature. And I'm old enough to remember the public enemies and and the um, X-Clans and De La Souls and them yeah. too. And, you know, some real knowledge and the Fugees and things like that, home team. And so um, I understood that I wasn't going to get high and I never, I never did. You know, I don't even smoke weed. So I was, I was like, hey, I can make money doing this. And that's what I saw people doing. You know, some of my people was just like, hey, man, that's how the streets love you. You know, the streets, street dudes ain't just giving you, that's movies. They ain't giving you $500, $5,000. They'll give you a pack and mm -hmm. say, hey, 
you stinking here. I'm going to give you this pack and you're going to make your money. You know, in the movies, they saying people giving up. Down. Nobody never gave me no money. They always gave me a pack, which I don't, you know, discredit them for it. That's how they was able to show love. And But you had to earn it. So I got out there and earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness gracious. So what? So you, you're navigating this this maze of life, right? From the from the moment, damn near from the moment you were born, trying to figure it out, right? Navigating it. Um, you had your help from your grandma, and that was kind of it when it comes to um, like adult figures who were uh, positive and actually trying to do do something. I had an uncle. You know, my uncle, shout out to my uncle Latif, he passed away in um, COVID. You know, he was the only man around that was, you know, kept a real job, you know. But it's funny thing, he had just came out of prison around, you know, 89, 90. So I'm like 10 years old. Um, but he was, he never went back. You know, he got a job, got on his good foot, did what he needed to do. So he did give me an outlet. You know what I'm saying? He never started like, like judge me. And I put that in my last book, you know, um, I dedicated it to him. My last book, Business Corner, he's in a dedication. He, you know, we'll talk about, cause it's focused on people being in your corner. And he knew what I was doing cause he did it, you know, but yeah. he was like, look, man, when you need another place to crash, come over here. You know, um, I had a key to his house. I had, you know, I can come over there and breathe from time to time. I had money and he knew, you know, I love my family members, but they was on drugs. So if I put money down, they was gonna steal it. But at his house, I didn't have the had that problem, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I didn't I didn't stay there, like I didn't live there. I'd just be over there, you know, when I needed a break, and he made sure I had that that avenue, you know what I mean, for me to go ahead and breathe. And again, no judgment zone, nothing like that. And he was just an amazing guy, man. You know, um, my aunt didn't have to work for years, man. Um, that I remember. I mean, her kids was damn near grown before she had to act, before she decided to get a job. Yeah. She did what she needed to do. So that was a role model. I always said, and I said in my book, I said it to multiple people, I said to you, I wish I would have gave him more of his kudos while he was here on earth. But he, uh, anybody who knows us know our relationship. He know how I feel about him. And I know how he feel about me. Love it. Love it. So there's more, right? And it's great that you had that outlet um, and had that ability to take that, take a, get a, get a step back take a beat and actually breathe. Um, that had to be super duper beneficial for you just to be able to show up in life, show up for school, uh, show up to play ball, show up on a corner. Like, <laughs> like it's just, like it was, it, it's a ne necessary, especially with everything you had going on. It was everything, man. Just to catch that bus across the bridge to his house and have a key you know what I mean? And just be able to chill. I ain't had to let him know in advance, nothing like that. You know, I at the door, he see me like, oh, what's up, nephew? And I could just go in the room. It's my little cousin room, but I'm like, yo, all right, you gonna go sleep in your sister's room and she gonna sleep with your mother and your father because she was the baby now. Uh, it's funny, she, you know, I just was at her house. She bought a house recently, uh, a couple years ago and stuff like that. But I remember she was a baby or real young and she would always sleep with her parents anyway. So I always make her brother go into his room, yeah. with her room. I sleep over there for the night, and I just catch the bus from from there from his house to school, you know, because I just needed to get away or something was going on or it was hot on the block because my grandmother lived in the neighborhood where I was getting money, so like it's it was kind of quiet where he was. So I would just go over there and just get low, and I always had that option when I would come from school, like from college, I would go over there and mm -hmm. I would leave my bags there, and I still had the alarm code and key. So it just that was that was my safe haven. Yeah. What was your college experience like? Oh man, the funny thing, people don't believe it, man. But college was gladiator school for me. Like, you know what I mean? We went to school with a lot of people that was just like me, people who came, who's um should have been in prison, just coming from prison, mm -hmm. you know. Um, because I went to a black school, um, HBCU called Benedict College, which is 10 times better than it was when we went. Mm -hmm. But they would, they had a thing uh, where it was an open door policy. They, so they let people like me come to college. And um, you had to perform your first year so you don't get kicked out. Um, but yeah, I was just, you know, it was a lot of people from all over the country that was delinquents. And, you know, it was, we went through it. It was like, hey, Nork all over again. You know, we had to hold it down on this side. We had people from Florida, people from Charleston, people from all over the place. 
um, California, people from Atlanta, and everybody had their little sets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Down, I mean, I lost a friend. Like one of my friends from that came home from home. From, he was from Irvington. He got murdered on campus. You know what I mean? So like we was we was in it in it for real for real. So um, I, I we had to figure it out, man. You know, college was just one of those things where all the stuff I learned at home. I definitely had to put it to use. Yeah. <laughs> it was going down. What what advice would you give someone who who may have or may be in a situation similar to you and they're looking to go to college or uh, make make that change? What would you say to them? Man, I'm gonna tell them to stay strong, man, and understand that there's way more options than just going to hustle because I had other options, man. I could have worked. I worked at a car wash. As soon as I t- as soon as that I told you that conversation with my grandmother, like months later, by the summer, I, I got a car wash job. The problem for me was the people who owned the car wash were some of the biggest drug dealers in the in the, in the city. Oh, so it was just right there. And exactly. So like I'm cleaning the car, I'm cleaning their Lexuses, I'm cleaning their Mercedes and things like that. You got basketball players that's from the area that's coming in town and they're coming to the car wash chilling. They used to have dog fights on Saturdays. So we working the dog fights and we seeing them, all the money coming out. And I wanted a piece of that. And then I was in my neighborhood, you know, the cash was already like, yo, man, you know, they know I'm struggling. I can help you, but this is the way I'm gonna help you. So finally I'm like, all right, man, give me that pack. I'm gonna go get right. And so, um, but now nah, I, I was just really um, caught up by that because my best friend stayed at the car wash till like our junior year and he worked, worked at White Castle. I could have stayed there. But I wanted more. And then um, it was other people who you know took other jobs later on down the line. I could have shoveled snow, <laughs> did all type of stuff, which I did in certain times. But that was and it's addictive. When I first my first um, adult charge, you know, when I had to go through the they call it the pie program up there. I went to like a rehab. I thought it was something else. But because um, everybody was doing a high so and so, you know, going to tell a name when it got yeah. to me, I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. Like this sound like I'm like no offense, but this sound like it's for addicts. I was selling drugs, and the guy told me he said, "Man, you know that's just as addictive as using." Hey, hey, hey! Did you know I wrote a book? It's called The Value Method: Five Steps to Unlocking Your Greatest Potential, and in it, I share just that: five wildly easy, actionable steps that will set you up to have a greater human experience daily. I've included interactive worksheets and small assignments at the end of each chapter, you're literally creating a living blueprint of your best life. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to purchase your copy and a copy for a friend. And he that, he never lied. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That's that's super addictive. And um, I was addicted. Once you get that taste of making that money like that, it's a, it's a different feeling, man. And it's just like the drug. It's hard to ever... I've been in business. I've done very well in business, but I still haven't gotten that feeling from anything I've done in business like I did with that. Why do you think that is? And it's just an adrenaline rush, man. Like, you know, <laughs> that adrenaline. And, it, and it's real. I remember I told some people a story. I remember when I moved um, back to South Carolina um, after I was you know, well out of college and stuff like that. They had a Trayvon Martin rally. And, you know, me hustling, I saw... I mean, it's like a bunch of people. I man, we went to the grocery store. I bought like four or five cases of water and a little styrofoam on the cooler. Hello, yeah. Put some ice in there. I'm standing on the corner selling the water like I'm selling drugs. I had goosebumps all over my body. My heart was racing because it was just like I was standing on the corner hustling back in Newark. So it's a different feeling. Um, you know, it's it's under. I'm trying my best to describe it, but really. You won't feel it unless you ever did. I don't think nobody should sell drugs to do it, but find that thing that give you that feeling. And because once I find that, I'm dropping everything else. Gotcha. Gotcha. So <laughs> your so your uh, photography and your consulting like that, may, this may not be it. Like, you know, there's something else out there. Nah, nah, that, that never gave me that feeling. It, it mm. gave me a feeling of pride. It gave me a feeling of security that I never had. See, when you're in the street, you don't have no security, but you understand that. You know, mm-hmm. you understand that wholeheartedly. But 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 the photography, the consulting, you know, being a, I'm a coach, certified coach, certified trainer, you know, I'm four-time author. I, I got all these security blankets. That's what I never had before back in those days. Like, I, I can always say hustle, but hustle don't go on a resume. You know what I mean? Me being able to know that I can flat out take amazing photos and I've done it in a myriad of different places from 
you know, headshots with corporate companies to working forensic with Amtrak to working with the WNBA to working with Nike. Like I've done major stuff. So I know how to do major commercial projects to somebody's birthday party, you know what I mean? On a high level, you know? So I know how to do that. I know how to correct other people's images that people will come to me. Oh, I have my photographer. They messed up my pictures. Send me the, send it to me. I'll get you right. I've had photographers and Hey man, I just started. I took a wedding. I can correct your stuff. So that means I'm a professional. I can fix what you do. Mm-hmm. I help businesses all day long. I, all I do is I coach other businesses. So I don't, some businesses I've never done myself, but I know business and I'm able to coach them successfully. Ask the safety blanket. You don't know how much money you're going to make when you step on that street. You don't know if you're going to live. You're going to go to jail that day. You don't know any of that. Yeah. That's the difference between my life then and my life now. It's, it's, I know I have security blankets. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you're safe. Yeah. Right. yeah. Safe that, the safety is, is, <laughs> is something else. You sleep different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet you do. I bet the hell you do. Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I had family members who were in the the in the game and, you know, just just I always looked at them and I'm like, damn, like, what would that be like? And you got to stop lying to you, though. Hopefully they tell you the truth, what it really is, because it's not what we what we uh, what we made it seem like before. And it's definitely not what the kids make it seem like now. Like, yeah, it's it's if you got a million dollars in the game, more likely you killed somebody. Mm. You know, you don't really make a million dollars. That's a lottery ticket. You know what I'm saying? And then you building up from fifty dollars to a million dollars. That's a pipe dream. By the time you start really getting five figures on a regular basis, the pop the police is on you. You know, mm-hmm. one trial can wipe out every everything you got in the stash. You know what I'm saying? Um, nowadays, it's telling is way more. Even we got the murderers telling. You know what I'm saying? People who was the shooters is telling. So like, that game is done. You know what I mean? Like you can still make a couple of dollars, but you got that. As long as you got a cell phone, they know where you are. And they don't mm-hmm. feel like getting you. You know, they can sit on it. They be like, all right, we already know who they are. We know watch them make 18 sales from the cameras. All right, we can get them whenever they feel like it. More likely when, you know, especially up north where we come from, election time, we gonna round everybody up. <laughs> you know, we already got your name downtown. It's about to be a new election. Start rounding them up. Yeah, we got him. Like, it's just, it ain't like it was back in the day where they were trying to figure it out, how to catch up to you. They already know, man. So it's kind of like worthless yeah. To do, you know, if you need to make some money, I'm not going to judge you, but make, that got to be a real short term thing, you know. Um, again, you 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 make a, you have your good summers. I still know all my good summers. That's how I know it wasn't always great. I know I had like a good three or four great summers, and other times was just like stuff I was doing. You know, it was just like a job. I, you see people with jobs growing faster than you. You know, what I mean, because yeah. they're consistently going up. You done got up, you got 15,000, 20,000 in stash, and you done got one bad package and everything messed up. Now you got to start from zero again. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you went to jail for you, you missing the summer. You come back, you back. That person come back, they was, you was cracked, talking about them with an $8 an hour job. And then now they working, making 80 G's and they doing, they living good. So it's not worth it, man. Keep your money. Gotcha. Y'all hear that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you went from making $8. The six figures. That's the yeah. that's the premise. And and what is it? I I won't start. I won't start. Yeah, that's my start. that's my mantra. You know, um, I, I joined church and stuff like that. I was in the church and everything, and so I um went to a TD Jakes conference. You know, because I, I was working an eight dollar hour job. Because again, I moved back to South Carolina. I was living in D.C. and my wife had a um job on Capitol Hill. She lost out of nowhere. Wasn't just hers, everybody shut down the company. Yeah. Actually, our, our president now was the vice president then, and his chief of staff was running her company. He shut it down to full, full, fully focus on politics. And she worked 600 Capitol Hill, 600 on um, Pennsylvania Avenue, right in Capitol Hill. And she lost her job. It's like three weeks, you won't have a job no more. And um, that was to everybody. And, you know, I had a cleaning business at that time. So I had to sell that prematurely. And, um, you know, just try to figure it out. And I moved back to South Carolina. It was a lot cheaper than D.C., you know, having kids and stuff like that. And so this is why I became a felon. And um, I had charges and all that other stuff like that. So I couldn't get a job, you know, that would fit. So I slid, slid in where they were going to have me. And that was at 
an eight dollar an hour spot at the Hampton Inn Hotel. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing that, and you know, I was running around, I was selling bootleg movies, I was running cars back and forth to the auction. A cat I went to college with had a car dealership. Um, he couldn't let he didn't want me to sell cars, you know, because of the record or whatever, but that yeah. was a way to help me. Hey, he go get cars once a week in the auction. I went with him from that, and then as it grew, he was going two and three times a week. So I just was doing whatever I can do to make it happen. So, you know, being in church, I got invited to a um, TDJ's conference in Orlando and it changed my life. You know, mm -hmm. he was on, he brought a full grown lion on the stage. Of course it was in a cage, but he was just talking about how, um, you know, this lion has been in the, in the cage his whole life. Why are we afraid to let him roam with everybody else? And they said that because they're afraid that his instinct is going to kick in and he's going to realize that who he really is. Mm -hmm. And he was dropping his book instinct at that time. And he just said that somebody in here know that your instinct is telling you that you're supposed to be doing greater. And I cried like a big fat baby. But the, the beautiful thing that everybody who came with me on that trip came over and said, he's talking to you. Because mm -hmm. they are the time it was. And I was already, and I was, again, I was still taking pictures at that time. But I, at that, you know, a couple months later, I left my job, got a um, little small matchbox office space and ran for it. And, and that was my mantra was created then was I won't starve because I went through so much hell with my in-laws and with, you know, other individuals judging me, you know, because yeah. of my background and um, all that other stuff like that. And I was just like, look, man, I ain't going to starve. I know, I know I'm, I'm greater than this. I know I don't need no job to define me or to make sure I make no money. And I didn't, you know, so that was 2014. That was like towards the end of 2014 by 2017, I was a six figure earner. And this is just pictures? Yep. Just pictures. Wow. Yeah. What was that? What was that moment of earning that six figures? What was that like in that moment? You know, you don't think about it. You just look and find I married an accountant, right? So <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I'm just rolling, man. Like it was kind of crazy because. I remember I, we talk about this because I and I put it in my book. I went through the years, you know. So I remember 2014, I leave my job. As a matter of fact, it was November. I left my job. I left, I um got my office in like the summer. Then I left my job a couple months later. And um, you know, it was tough. I didn't know what what to do. And I, you know, I I just believed. And so then people started coming and it, the the job started happening, but I had in, in 14, I had a job with a law firm. Mm -hmm. A lawyer gave me an opportunity to take some photos of his law firm. I made a thousand dollars that day and I only was working for like a couple hours. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is it. I wasn't rolling over on the floor. I wasn't doing all this stuff. I wasn't doing that great. I just was in there, air conditioned room. I mean, you know, office space, taking pictures of these nice people going from there. Then he came back to me towards the end, was like, yo, I got another office in Durham. I want you to take pictures of that one. And that's like three hours away from where I was. So we worked that out, took those pictures. I'm like, this is what I want to do. So coming into 2015, I got super focused on my niche mm -hmm. and, work with, you know, corporate. And so I'm like, I don't, I'm going to do the other pictures because I make some money, but I'm going strictly at the corporate. And so South Carolina went through hell in 2015. Um, we had the Emmanuel Nine shooting. Mm -hmm. We had a, a thousand year flood, um, and we had um, the the Confederate flag was taken off the state house. Uh huh. I was present for all of that. Now I was present for the aftermath of the Emmanuel Nine. Of course, I wasn't at the church, but I was documenting all of that, mm -hmm. and so that put me around individuals like our mayor at the time, um, Mr. Steve Benjamin. Um, when we had our flood, he was taking, I was taking pictures of that supporting with my church. And, um, he said, Hey man, how can I get those photos? Got the photos next, you know, I got a call from his office. Like, Hey, they was going to have people coming like different cities coming to give us relief. And he wanted me to be there to document it. And I started doing so. And so all my pictures would be in the newspaper. Then mm. um, I did his headshots. Which that led me to, um, I had a sister, this was a good friend of mine, but she's like a sister to me. She was working with um, the city and um, I got connected with people in the city through that. And um, they was like, hey, have you ever did government contracting before? I was like, no. 
He's like, man, you need to get certified. Brother looked just like us. Um, gave me the, that alley-oop. I started, you know, working on getting certifications. And he told me about going to this function, that function. And I everything he told me to do, I did it. If it cost some money, I, I found the money to do it. Mm-hmm. My life changed that next going into 2016. It was a wrap. It was like I started working, did some work the city. And I did pretty much headshots for every city office. And I just kept going from there. And I started working with some of the best law firms. Um, in the in the southeast, started working with whole school districts and all that stuff. Just started traveling, working with the airports, the other um county offices, some of everybody, you know. And um, then I did my own tour in sixteen summer. I did a tour um uh, East Coast course. I came back home, mm-hmm. did did New York, did D.C., did Atlanta, did um Charleston, South Carolina, did Charlotte, North Carolina. And I, that was like crazy. It was mo- some of the places, I mean, we had to move it over to, it was on Saturday morning from like nine to two, but we had to move it over to the next day because we had waiting lists. Wow. We, we so it just blew up from there. So when 17 came, I was a household name. So I was like, now it's contract work coming. Mm-hmm. And so once the contract work came, that's where the six figure portion came. And it, it was just an amazing time. I just remember that time like crazy. You know, I was just, knocking out the park. And I started speaking in 16. Um, a friend of mine moved from South Carolina to Atlanta, um, pursuing better, uh, better in his career. He was a barber. Mm-hmm. He um, cuts for Tyler Perry um, Studios. Um, he actually was on, on the barber. He was one of the barbers for the, um, the what's it called, the movie, the Wakanda Forever movie. Oh, that's fire. Yeah, so me and him, he had started a nonprofit down there, and he asked me to come speak. In 16, I did that. I got bit by that bug. So I was already speaking and they were parading me around as like a token black kid, black guy who was um, getting money off the government. The government, hey, we do have supply diversity. Look at him here. Mr. Washington does this. Uh, yeah. That type of thing, which was cool. I, it was good. You know, um, made me some money and, you know, I got some notoriety around the whole state. But it helped me speak, and I had you know they asked me to speak or you know talk to other people, come to other cities, and talk to the um, business owners about how to actually do business with the government. And so I was cool with that, and so that was setting me up for the next level, you know. Um, but yeah, seventeen, the money just was coming fast and furious. Man, I probably made like one hundred forty, one hundred fifty thousand dollars that year, and I um I remember investing about forty or fifty of it back into my business. Mm-hmm. But I got I got a three thousand square foot building. I got a bunch of cameras. I just got some of everything. I got um enough equipment for us to do speaking engagements with you know um projectors. All I mean all type of stuff and yeah. um it was just cool, man. And and that's that's where my business just kind of went because we went from being able to cover a thousand two thousand dollar jobs to doing ten thousand dollar jobs mm. and I bring other people in you know as staff. So that just worked out for me. Hey, hey, hey. If you're enjoying this content, do not forget to rate and review. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, be sure to rate and review. It helps us reach more people in more ways. Now, let's get back to some resilience. Yeah, I love that. The story from from just doing what you had to do, doing what you needed to do, doing what what was what was what you felt was right at the time, right? Um going through all of that, navigating what that looked like, getting getting caught up, feel me. Um and then coming to a space where you no longer had that option of doing the fast work doing getting that fast money you had to make a shift man had to make a change um you had a you had you said you had your daughter yeah 2008 yep your daughter you know so i'm sure she gave you more motivation to go ahead i know you look you got something to say i mean honestly i gotta give it all all props to my wife man you know because she was super dope we met when we was 19 and she just never she never judged me for what i was doing but when you know she graduated a year ahead of me, I was on a five-year plan. <laughs> and so she she got up out of there and went back to DC where she was from. And I said that if she ever came back, 
you know, I was going to give it up because she didn't come from that world. Mm. You know what I mean? She ain't, she ain't never come from that world. So I, I did what I had to do, but you know, here I am, I got this degree and I was going to try to do it that way. And I did, I, you know, I applied for jobs, got hired for jobs, literally got hired. And when my, you know, you go in there, you the sign background. a paper, that background come back, you know, a couple of weeks later, it's like, nah, you good. Like we good on you. Yeah. And that happened too many times for me. It happened like three times in like, you know, six weeks. And I was like, yeah, I'm good on this. And so, you know, I started the business, but I, you know, I went to church with her. She church girl, got saved, did all that stuff. So I was on that path beforehand. Um, when my daughter came, it was just more, I mean, I was just happy, man. Cause I, you know, I wanted to have my own child and, and, ha and, and do it right for, for them. Cause you know, I didn't have my parents like that. I mean, my parents <laughs> in my life now, but um, nah, they, they my parents was nowhere to be found for real. You know, they were doing their own thing. And I'm like, man, uh, -uh I'm gonna do this better. So, yeah. you know, that's people ask what you want to do later on. I'll be a grandfather. Like that's that's me. Like I, I'm I'm the I'm the dad. I, I love my kids. I love rocking with my kids. Um, when I tell my story about one of my chapters in my book is Freedom Over Finance, my, my last book. I always tell people, I say, I didn't miss nothing that my kids was doing because I was running my photography business. Like I ain't miss nothing. Every, every recital, every um, school trip I was there yeah it didn't look good because I didn't have a crap ton of money at first but I made I, I made it through that point and so when I did get the bread I, we was able to still do it heavy you know what I mean yeah. and I'm still to this day I'm with everything my kids doing I just came back from Cali with my son playing basketball like I was you know a couple days ago and I'll be back in Cali but not with him but by myself but they know now they tell me it's okay dad go ahead I know you got to go, go away for business you know, you good. My daughter told me when I, I live in Vegas now, and I was telling my daughter, I said, Yeah, I'm gonna have to leave. She said, just don't be gone for longer than a month. And so I literally worked it out. So I went home before they moved over. I went home every two weeks to make sure I was with them. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So like it's it's me and mine, it's me and mine. That's it. It's me and my babies. Like that's what it is for me, because I didn't have that. So that's my number one lot in this life is to make sure that they don't ever see or go through any of that crap I went through, man. Yeah, especially especially in those years where they're the most where where you're needed the most. For me, oh, they're yeah. the most uh susceptible to outside influences. And you know, being being there for your child is, you know, coming from like my grandparents raised me um, my birth mom and my birth dad was like, nah, I got other things to do. Like, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I always, I always chalk it up to like, yeah, they did the best with what they had at the time. Like, and they, they didn't, they ain't know no better. And to this day, they still don't know no better, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I, look, I know, I know. I love my parents. I'm taking care of, look. They like kids. <laughs> they like Listen, kids. <laughs> you know, but, you know, just I am so inspired just by hearing your story and the fact that you're still showing up as the father that you were destined to be. That's like my you, number one thing. That's my yeah. number one thing, like. People, I, and T.D. Jakes, I love T.D. Jakes. I got my library behind me. I don't know how you, you can see. Um, but yeah, like I got all his books, most of his books on the top of my library, right? So, and I love him. I love his, I, I kind of model myself up behind him as a writer, him and um, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm -hmm. um, but I had to disagree. He made a video, said that if you, you can't make money if you around your kids, you got to be, either you with your kids and you poor or you around your kids and you broke. And I get from that premise, but I'm breaking my neck to make sure that 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 I show I prove him wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if he's the man I believe he is, I never met him, he would love to hear that story, you know, because yeah. I'm sitting there like it's just I just created a lifestyle where my kids are part of the lifestyle. Like my daughter has two books of her own, you know, so I don't got to go nowhere to worry about that. She got two books too, so me and her have done joint speaking engagements. Yeah. You know, we we've been in places together where we're we both have our books out, you know, and they have us at the Black Expo, you know, you know, 
that's that's it. And I gotta watch her. She's speaking to the whole school district, and I'm there with her when then she follow me because I'm speaking to some place. Like I've created that. We've created an athletic company for my son. You know, it's not for me, but I only train kids younger than my son on a on for real because I want him to be getting trained training them. Mm-hmm. He somebody else coaches my son. You know, his team that he played for. I train kids younger than him because he's getting a taste of training them. Yeah. He, so, because everybody talk about the NBA, he wants to play in the NBA. I mean, he doesn't have to, not for us, but I want him to understand basketball as a whole. I want him to understand the business of basketball. I want him to be in high school and saying, you know, I want to make some money. I don't have to hustle. I can train a couple five-year-olds and eight-year-olds and seven-year-olds and make me some money from doing that. So I'm helping him anyway. I'm teaching him how to play basketball. Anyway, bring the kids over here. I'm not worried about no older kids because it's not about that for me. It's about creating an avenue for them. Mm. And so doing it, all they do is be, Daddy, I see that building. You should you should get that because we can put a store there. <laughs> you know, and we having these conversations. So I'm not, I refuse to believe that I gotta be away from my kids. When I go on vacation, they with me. Like sometimes like my wife's vacation, like her birthday, she might want to go and we'll go and leave the kids. But every birthday when I'm out of town, they with me. Every last one of them. You know, because that's just what it is. I'm I'm crystal clear on it. That's that's what's important to you. And I love I love the way you're showing up in your space, in your world, in your orbit. And um it's it's I appreciate that. Absolutely, it's commendable. Um unfortunately, I feel like we have to like put a magnifying glass, like a um, but it, it's it's such a conundrum when you think about it because you shouldn't we shouldn't really have to feel like we have to celebrate someone for showing up in their lives and at the same time I feel like black men get such a bad name a bad breath a bad is there's such a bad stigma around a black man and not being in the home and not being around their children and raising their kids and it just it just rubs me the wrong way. So any chance, any moment I get a chance just to to say yo, I appreciate you. Um, if I'm out on the street and I see a, a dad with this, I'm like, yo, like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for showing up and thank you for taking one of those numbers away. One of those numbers, one of those negative numbers. This numbers are huge, this, Yeah. Those numbers this, is cute. That's all bullshit. Like, uh-huh. we taking care of our kids. You know what I'm saying? We're taking care of our kids and we're doing what we're supposed to do. We need, and I appreciate you for honoring us and we need to honor ourselves. We're taught not to honor ourselves. We're taught not to not, not to speak like that. Like even in our households, like we put the honor on y'all and that's, and y'all deserve it. But stop acting like we don't count. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, and stop acting like you don't count. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, yes, we cannot have a baby like y'all. We can't, most men can't make a house a home like y'all. You know what I'm saying? But We've been set up under situations where, like you said, it's cold outside. So we got to take off our coat and get sick, give it to that woman, right? But she ain't supposed to work, so I'm going to be sick. How am I, how am I going to work, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, some of that stuff don't count. Like, it don't, like how about we, everybody's dope. Everybody counts, man and woman. You know, Everybody, everybody get a coat. How about that? <laughs> and everybody celebrated for what they do in the kids' life, in their own lives, everything like that. But we've been, especially black men, been put in a situation where we're not supposed to talk about our, you know, wins. Same thing like in the street. A cat like me, because I came from there, I just put literally put it on Facebook the other day. Um, I put something out there. I said I came from the curb to college to the courthouse to the corner office, right? And I had a picture of me in my office. So I got cats that's from the curb was on me. Like, I was on the curb with them underneath my Facebook post. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I can talk to them, but the brothers who are doctors ain't coming back to the hood. The brothers who are lawyers ain't coming to the hood. And we need that because we keep it to ourselves about our, you know, our wins. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We don't, t- we don't supposed to talk about our wins. We ain't supposed to talk about our triumphs, how we overcame. And we are, we should, and we should be saying it to these babies. Mm-hmm. We should be telling them these babies that we should be saying it at the schools. We should be doing all of that stuff to our sisters. So they know. Because if they're good-hearted women, they won't be thinking. They'll be like, you know what? Maybe I was thinking wrong about men. You know what I'm saying? But 
the enemy always are, is around trying to divide us. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And and we and that happens too often. Like we need each other. You know what I'm saying? We truly need each other in this space. Men and women need each other, but in this country, black men, men and women need each other in order to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, to thrive. But to order to survive, we need each other. And we get caught up in that garbage, acting like one is better than the other. Everybody does their part. You know, I'm just not one of the ones you ran into one that's not going to keep my mouth shut about how I show up in my household. Yeah. So and I and you shouldn't. And you yeah. shouldn't. And you and you absolutely shouldn't. And we definitely need to move away from that stigma, that mindset of, nah, you got to be quiet or hush, hush, or keep your head down, keep working, and then somebody else will see your greatness or whatever the whatever the the narrative is that all the time they do uh -huh. that all the time i heard nick cannon just said it nick cannon just said it literally on earn your leisure as a man it can be difficult to openly talk about your feelings and problems you may be facing in life for decades society has told you to man up and that men don't cry but we know that bottling those emotions can have severe consequences that's why rj zimmerman created a free men zoom group that meets once a month, a judgment-free zone where you can find support and resources to help you through life. Visit www.untappedkeg.com to sign up. He said, you don't need to network. You just, just get good at what you do and then they'll find. I'm like, that's a lie. You definitely need to network. I'm like, saying, how many people are nice, like, you have a podcast. All you got to do is meet the right person and your podcast is out of here. Mm -hmm. But it ain't, you can do a hundred million YouTube videos and probably never pop. But as soon as you start making the right connections, it's out of here. Yep. But you got people like Nick Cannon who probably ain't never been in the street, never ain't come from that. You've been a, a child celebrity. And then you telling our babies, all the millions of people who listening to you because you got wilding out that you don't, it's a waste of time to network. You know what I'm saying? Like, and there's a lot of us that's giving that rhetoric back to the community because mm -hmm. they got that platform. And I made a video on my YouTube page about it. I even said it, the cash for earn your leisure, they should have checked him. But you know what? That helps the views with their platform. So they're not going to check him because he's a celebrity. If it was me, they would try to show you how much more smarter they was than I was, than I am. You know what I'm saying? But celebrities are wrong too. Absolutely. And and they're 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 the easiest, they're the ones that are pushing this narrative, right? And they have the platform and people and they know people are listening and, they, and they're soaking it all up. So they're in a position to push these narratives that make that make stuff just look bad, that yeah. that doesn't make sense, and there's no substance behind it except going viral. Feel me? Yeah. And yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't even know if they're super aware of the consequences of their statements, the consequences of the narrative that they keep putting together, they keep pu pushing. It's not taking they, us nowhere. I don't think they care. Because Karen doesn't make you no money. Karen doesn't get um, views. You know what I'm saying? Like you interviewing people like myself, it's going to be tough, you know? Um, but I appreciate you going forward with it anyway. Same, I have a platform I refuse to talk to those other individuals. I need people with this type of story. I need people, you know, because it's all about us doing our part. I can't worry about what other people are doing. Exactly. You know, I'm eating. I'm. I'm. My family is fed, but me putting out this this information is going to be good to somebody. Maybe it's good for you. Maybe it's good for the person that comes on. And I'm doing my duty without worrying about somebody else. And we got to get into that space where we're doing a lot of stuff that's not worrying about money. You know, I started speaking because I just wanted to, you know, it wasn't, I'm never about any money. I was speaking in the church. I was, you know, I, I, I used to take pictures of major conferences and these people speaking, they had a story. I'm like, I got a story, you know? So I needed to get that out of me, yeah. not about no money. When it became about the money, uh, when the money came in, yeah, I turned it up, but I wanted to do it anyway. And we got to work, know that we got to do right regardless of money. And then the money would come but I wouldn't tell nobody they shouldn't meet people, network, put themselves around other individuals. How are you going to help people? You know, you start judging yourself by how many people you help. That's how I judge myself 
you've been around me for a while and you ain't grow, then I, I that says a lot about me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And as and as I always say um, in my book, it's called the value method. And I always say you got to audit your orbit. Yeah. Got to make sure you are checking the people that you're around and also checking yourself. Because yeah. a lot of people forget that we're the center of that orbit. Word. So you got to give yourself that checkup from the neck up. And at the same time, you know, and that means like, what are you listening to? What type of content are you taking in? What are you feeding your body? What are you feeding your mind? What are you reading? You know, stuff like that. And then that external audit is what, mm-hmm. who you around? <laughs> That's what you need to be reading. Let's go. That's what you need to be, to be, to, to be taken in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shameless plug. Don't even feel, don't feel no way about <laughs> it. That's what this platform is for is to, to help, to elevate and highlight other people's story. Like yeah. I got a story. Yeah. And I'm sure that if we talk long enough, we're going to find a lot of parallels. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't yeah, do this. From Camden area. Look, this, that's, <laughs> Camden, we, we've been rivals in the state, but we we all being going through. We pay attention. We've been taken advantage of by two other states for the for all our you know, New York taking advantage of everything in North Jersey and Philly taking advantage of everything in South Jersey. So we should have been coming together and making our own New Jersey radio stations and yeah. doing other stuff instead of giving it all to um, Pennsylvania and to New York. But that's a whole other story. I always think about my state. They look at our state like it's like it's you know uh, second second fiddle. Yeah, and it's wild. You see that right there, right? <laughs> yep, I see it. You see that? I, I found it. that. I found that at like this, um, this old tobacco like barn. They have like wow. a thrift shop. When I used to live in North Carolina, I, lived, I used to live in Asheville. And, okay, um, that's nice of it. Yeah, and I found that I was like, oh, that's definitely going on the wall. Definitely <laughs> going on the wall. I'm never not going to be. I still got my eight five six phone number, so it is what it is. Um. But, oh, man, this conversation, how you feel? How do you feel, like, after this conversation? Oh, you- man, I love it. I love. I mean, I love having these. I can have these conversations every day and because it's, it's, it's building me, it's building yourself, and that's what we need to do. You know, we need to sharpen our swords at all times. And Absolutely. we don't have enough. We can spend a lot of time talking about LeBron versus Jordan and Kobe and everybody else, um, but we need to be talking about this. We need to be having these conversations so that we can grow, we can get some substance out of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, where can we find you on social media and um, how can we support you? Oh man, I am Jay Haleem is all my social media platforms, my personal one. And then um, I Won't Starve, I have a, um, I Won't Starve um, Instagram page, I have my YouTube page, um, Starve Talk is youtube.com backslash Starve Talk. Well, I, you know, it's just me talking, me, you know, different things that's going on in the course of the day, talking about business, talking about coaching, things of that nature. So um, yeah, that's where you can find me at. Just put, but you can Google me, put Jay Haleem, I'll pop right on up. You can put, I won't starve in, that'll pop right up. Um, hashtag I won't starve is my, it belongs to me. It is um, trademarked. And that's my mantra. We got merch there on I won't starve.com. Um, my books are on the IWonstarve.com or anywhere where books are sold, um, even internationally, Walmart, you know, everywhere. So all four of my book babies. Um, only one I didn't talk about was Motor Motivation. This one was, you know, I was doing videos every day, um, you know, Motor Motivation videos on social media. And before, I I, I didn't know I had, if I had the wherewithal to keep it going. So I said, I'm, I'm going to put it in the book. And um, I did that. I just took some of the videos and um, some of the content and enhanced it. But it's more than motivation, consistent encouragement through a crisis, because I just was hearing again that negative conversation about COVID, and they were saying, "Oh, you know, throw 2020 away and this, and we just waiting on this all that." I'm like, "Look, there's a crisis, but it wasn't our first crisis. The damn sure was the last crisis. So how do we find a way to be consistently motivated no matter what the crisis looks like? You know, so." Um, that 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 book right there was is was great. But this is I just put this out in December. Business corner was really needed to survive the entrepreneurial fight. I'm gonna make sure you get the book. I'm gonna send you um a digital copy of this book. We can send it to you today. 
But yes, this um man, I, I still say this is my greatest work right now because I I I did a blog for seventy something weeks straight, mm -hmm. but with the content that I was thinking about using for my next book, which you know, and the blog is called Business Corner, and I used none of it because when I sat down to get to it, something else came to me, mm -hmm. and you know, it just yeah, I had to glow. You know, I was doing I was knocking out a couple chapters in in, in a day. And it, it, like the glow just came on me, but it's it's basically focused on starting a business all the way to selling the business, you know, and what who and what you need in your corner during that process to get through that because this is what people don't talk about. Everybody make it try to make it easy to get in the business, but as, like I said, when I I made that money, but you don't know in 2017, you know, my wife was in and out of jobs, and really wasn't working. And, you know, so yes, there's a lot of money, but I we, we're we behind. Yeah. I take our profit and put it all the way back in the business. Mm -hmm. When you go, when you do that type of stuff, think about it. You start a business, you say, I right, to your spouse, hey, look, man, we going, we ain't, you ain't going out to eat no more. You know, you ain't partying with the friends for the next couple of years while we get this business off the ground. Then you $100,000 up. And then you take the hundred thousand and put it back into the business. Now I go get new Louis bags. Now I go take trips, none of that uh -huh. like that. And that's hard to get your spouse to be down with that. It was hard to get him or her down with, you know, the first move. Now you got to do this part. What's going on here? You know what I'm saying? Relocating with a business. That's tough. You know, um, hiring people, you know, in a business. I told my homeboy, um, he started a trucking company when he was just working for a trucking company in Atlanta. They all they talked about was the brokers. Oh, they got all the money. They don't want to pay us. I'm going to start my own company. Now his people talking about him like the brokers. I told him, I said, once you become the boss, think about that a job. You 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 cool with everybody. Y'all going out to happy hour. Now you the manager. You ain't invited to happy hour no more. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So, so once you become the boss, you're you, now you're alone again. Who's in your corner? Who is guiding you through this? Because people are dying to be entrepreneurs, literally, not figuratively. People are killing themselves. People are losing their shirt trying to become entrepreneurs, you know, because they're not, they don't have the proper people on their team and in their corner. Mm -hmm. so that's what this book talks about. What and who you need in every facet of your business career. So if you're starting off, there's something there for you. If you're in the middle of it, you're relocating, if you're ready to hire staff, all the way to when you um buying, I mean selling your company because you should be looking to sell it, you know, um at some point, not feel like you gotta do it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Or at least give it to your kids or something. But it ain't you just because you had the vision ain't don't mean that you the person who take it all the way to the touchdown. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you gotta be able to hand that thing off. So that's what this book is about. And um, I know this is my best work. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to get get into that. That sounds yeah. really, really beneficial. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, wonderful. Um, I ain't gonna keep you much longer. I got one more question for you. No doubt. What What does resilience mean to you? I love it. I love it, man. Oh my God, resilience means, of course, never giving up. Mm -hmm. But it means focus to me because I've seen a lot of people never give up a lot of BS when they should give up a lot of BS. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, because yes. the smartest business people I know and the smartest people I know know how to get rid of things, you know? And so we get caught up then in the never giving up and you hold on to things you shouldn't hold on to, mm. you know? So resilience means that you're withstanding blows that you don't create yourself and you have no control over while you're going down your path, while you're trying to get to the place of your destination with that you set before you that was set before you not the bs that you put yourself in the relationship that sucks all these things that you're supposed to be getting rid of and the bad decisions that's not resilience that's just you being stupid you know <laughs> it's the fact because once you realize that you got to make that move and you don't make the move then that's it ignorance only ignorance is bliss you know when you got when you got some knowledge you got to make moves like you got knowledge so when you know that you're on the path, you're taking this long ride on your journey and you run into traffic and you don't turn around and go the other way, your tire blow out and you just fix it and you keep going. You know, you run out of money and instead of you 
worry about it. You go, you keep walking and going in that distance, or you hitchhike, you do whatever you do. That's resistance. I mean, that's resilience because it has nothing to do with you. You're not putting yourself in a bad space. The world going to throw you BS. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I put in the same book. I said, it can be raining and you can see two different people in the rain act differently. Mm-hmm. Both don't got umbrellas. One dancing, the other one cursing. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? So it's the same thing. How you, that other person who's dancing is resilient. The one who's cursing and mad is that they're not displaying resiliency at that time. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, they are not understanding that it has nothing to do with them that this is happening, and it shouldn't stop you from getting what you need to get. That's what I, I think. That. I love that. It's the action. It's the doing. Like yeah. there's, it's more than just, it's more than just a being. It's a becoming. You got that right. I love that. Absolutely. I love that. That's Absolutely. a quote right there. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta use that quote. You gotta put that on social media. <laughs> I'll make sure I do that. Sure, Jay Haleem, thank you so much for no problem. Thank you. spending some time with us today. No doubt. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate and review. And remember, resilience in action will always lead to a greater human experience.